0: let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would mold us into the people you want us to be, that you would teach us your rhythms of grace, more of your truth, that you would help us to receive your love and share it in the world. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I recently had um, somebody ask me why I do what I do. I think they were thinking, my life was crazy, maybe that's why they asked it. But they were, they were going on to say that for every major thing you do in life, you should know your why. You should know why you're doing it. And so I've been thinking about that over the last number of weeks about different whys. And when I think about being here, I think about my why as being, that I believe that, A, that God's called me to this place, but, but that God's called the church to be a place as broken as, as it is, and I know that firsthand, but a place where we Connect with God, a place where we worship and praise God, a place where we find healing and hope, a place where we find a love that is as deep as it goes and will never end. And that and then finally I would also add to that that it's a place where we find God-teaching ways where we can flourish in life at the deepest levels of our souls. That's what that's why I'm here, that's what we're about. I think everything we do at some level, hopefully is connected to those things. And I want to go there today with the last thing that I mentioned. Um, and I want to draw upon the first reading that we had from Galatians 5. When we think about the last thing I mentioned about how I believe God teaches us ways that help us to flourish, I think that's what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5. And we're going we're gonna to dig down deep into that place. Last week, I talked about Galatians 3. The lectionary always drives me crazy because it skips around so much. We went from Chapter 3, we're going to skip on to Chapter 5, but I laid a little context for this letter last week, and I want to do a little review and go a little deeper as we kind of pick up with what Paul says in Galatians 5. So Many of you will know that Paul did three missionary journeys. You can go read the book of Acts, and you can read about the three different journeys. On his first journey, he went into the region of Galatia, and he formed a number of churches there. And now today, and he went there undoubtedly talking about God's love and mercy and grace and and talking about how Jesus fulfilled all these different um, proclamations by the prophets, all these different things, that's what he's taught. He's formed in these churches and they're going, everything's going along great. And then these people that are known now as the Judaizers have shown up and they've said, if you're gonna be a Christian, that you have to go back and take on all the Mosaic law. And if you, you know, this is talking to a Gentile congregation. So all you men, we're going behind the barn for our circumcision moment. And all the other aspects of the Mosaic law that are gonna come, come on board. And so Paul in this letter is blowing that up. He's saying that is not Spit that out. That is not the thing. The law had its place. It still has its place. It's a good thing, but that's not what it is. You don't have to take on all that stuff because we're in a different era. We're in a new place. There's been an inflection point with Jesus coming, and he's saying the law had its place and showing us how we're broken and leading us, ultimately guiding us to a place to find Jesus and the Messiah, but now it's it's a different realm. That's sort of the highest level of how I would summarize what he does with it. There's six chapters in this letter to the Galatians, and Paul spends four of them talking about this, talking about what salvation is about, talking about like don't get confused with the Mosaic Law, what's the purpose of the Mosaic Law, all that. That's what he does for the first four. And then these last two, in five and six, he's really talking about how do you live the Christian life? What do you do what do you do with that? And the very first thing he says today that we get in verse one of chapter five before they skip further in the chapter, was to say that we have this freedom, that we have this freedom, and what are we going to do with that? And then immediately Paul wants to talk about the battle that we're in. So you have this freedom, but we're in this battle. And the way that Paul talks about it, I'm going to back up and just read one of those passages again. This is from verse seventeen where he's kind of setting out the conflict. And he says, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. That's kind of what it says. And he, he wants to let people know like this battle is something that goes on. This is part of the spiritual life. And he's again, he's laying down and talking about freedom and how we live out our freedom in Christ. And so he, part of what he's saying in all this is the freedom is not to go after and to accept and pursue these lower-based desires, but to walk in the Spirit and go to this higher place, this place where we're going to flourish, this place where beauty is going to come about in our lives. That's, that's what he's calling and talking about using the freedom for that. And, I, and Paul is honest in a lot of things. Like He, he gets and will say that everybody's going to struggle with. This is a battle that no one's immune from, that even church leaders will face this. And when he writes um, to the Romans, some of you will remember that in, in the seventh chapter of Romans, he goes into this kind of struggle that takes place, making it personal to him. And for sure, there's some rhetorical devices taking place in all of this, but I'm going to read part of what he says in Romans 7. For he says, We know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is within my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. That's just a a passage quick where Paul's being honest to talk about this struggle that all of us face at some level between being called by God's spirit to a higher place and all these fleshly things that want to take us to a lower place. And it happens to everybody, including leaders. That's why you never put leaders on a pedestal because they will eventually disappoint you. Paul admits as much but we're all in this battle. And when we return back to Galatians, Paul's gonna paint a picture for a moment of these two different forces, these two different visions of, of how we can live. And so he starts out by talking about the works of the flesh and what does that look like? If we just give in to our own desires, where do we go and what's that look like? And I wanna read part of what he says there And um, as we talk about church leaders and all these different kinds of things, I think about um, how complicated this stuff gets. Because um, (laughs) one of my favorite translations of the Bible that I read sometimes is the message, which is what I'm gonna read in a moment. But I think we wanna talk brokenness. Eugene Peterson, God bless him, I love him, this is not a translation. This is a paraphrase. But I'm sure his publishers told him, you'll sell a lot more if you'll call it a translation. And you'll see when I translate this, he's not, he's not really trying to translate it. He's paraphrasing. But take it for what it is. This is how he reads, how he puts into the, his version of the Bible what Paul wrote about um, the works of the flesh. He says, it's, this, is, this is me reading now the quote. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of personalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, and ugly parodies of community. I could go on. That's the tr- That's what he says for that passage. And they're not very attractive. You know, you look at even just the categories of what he's talking about, they're, are these sexual sins, there's these religious sins, these these personal relationship sins, there are these social sins. Everything you wanna say about it, it's an ugly list. It's nothing attractive about it. And so that's going on on one side. And I'll comment too, just with a final verse, which I didn't read from him. I'm gonna go back to the reading we did from the NRSV, because it ends with this hard verse that says, I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it means that's a hard passage And and there are ways that people have looked at that in the past. There are all kinds of complexities with what people do with that verse. Some people say there's a difference between inheriting the kingdom of God and entering the kingdom of God. And that inheriting means you're entering it and you're getting reward with it so that you're still entering, even if you do these things, you, with God's grace, baptized, all this stuff, that you're going to still enter, but you're not going to get all these rewards. Other people have said, no, what he's really saying is if you just go, let yourself go in this direction, you're going to end up with so much momentum towards these evil places that you're not even going to see the light. You're not even going to be able to see what's taking place. I, we could go on and on about the complexities of that passage and perhaps get into some of the rhetorical pieces, what might be going on there. I just want to say it's an ugly list, and who wants to be... Marked by those things. Like that's, oh, that's, he fits perfectly. The works of the flesh. And we all at some level struggle with this or face this or do whatever. The only person who's ever lived who's been sinless was Jesus. And I want to pivot here then and then go where Paul goes next. Paul then wants to turn and say, well, not that. Let's go to talk about what it means to let the Holy Spirit reign inside of you and do these things. Because what Paul, Paul is saying and through these, the juxtaposition of these two things is if you just sell out and let yourself go with whatever you want and your sort of carnal pursuits, you're going to end up with all this ugliness. But if you surrender to the Spirit and let the Spirit direct you and guide you and lead you and all these things, God is going to grow this fruit in you. And notice the flesh was talking about works, things you do. Now we're talking fruit, things he grows. The difference is taking place there. But as we surrender, he will allow these beautiful things to grow in us. And this is not like um, some of the different spiritual gifts because this is something Paul wants to make clear that everybody is capable of having. Everybody can submit to the spirit and let these beautiful things grow in us. And as we submit and surrender, that's what will happen. And they're gorgeous. They are super attractive things. And I want to spend just a moment looking at them. We don't have time to do a deep deep dive on each of them. In the past, I've done two different times uh, since I've been a priest, I've done five-week sermon series on this. So we're gonna do just a very short skim through what these kind of gifts look like. But my goal in this is for you to see how beautiful they are and to want them and ask how do I get them? And how does this work out? And um, the first part of this is the very... First one of these is to just, before I even go to the first one, is to think about the categories. They are, how do we relate with God? How do we relate with other humans? And how do we relate with ourselves? And the very first one that he mentions is love. Because it is the overarching one. It's the one that is about everything else that takes place. If we submit to God, and if we allow his spirit to reign in us, the very first aspect of the fruit that's gonna show in us is gonna be love. I mean, Jesus said they're gonna know us. There's nothing greater than loving like the way he loved. He calls us to love the way he did. He calls us to love, saying the greatest command is to love our neighbors ourselves. He's saying saying we should be known by our love. Like, love is the first thing. And it's the first fruit that Paul's gonna mention as we surrender and as we go to that place. And it will show up in our lives in just, again, just amazing and beautiful different kinds of ways. I think I've told this story once before, but there was an article I read a number of years ago that was impressive to me on this because it was a story, it was a front page article in the San Francisco Chronicle about a bus driver who had a route within San Francisco and her name was Linda Wilson Allen. And um, she was one of these people who was different than others because she would learn the names of every single person that was a regular rider. She would see them coming and would hold the bus waiting for them to get there, knowing she'd make it up on the next leg or however she was going to do it. She's a person who, um, the article goes on to tell a story about meeting a person who started writing with her kind of on a regular basis. And she met her, her name was Tanya. And it was right coming up on Thanksgiving. And she said, I know you're new here. I know you're still meeting people. I know you're kind of still lost in the city. Why didn't you join us for Thanksgiving with my family? And she did. And they went on to become good friends. To become friends, and she talks about too about how everybody on the bus learned that her one style thing that she could do, wearing a uniform, was wear a scarf, and they all started giving her scarves. She had this whole, you know, closet full of scarves because all these people were giving her these scarves, and she would she would show love in all these different kinds of ways. Um, but the article went on to say this: um, this is what the San Francisco Chronicle said. Her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes. There's a lot to talk about with the Lord, says Wilson Allen, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward. She ends, when she finishes her route, which obviously starts very early, when she finishes it each day, she finishes with her final thing on the microphone saying, that's all, I love you, take care. She's a person, I think, that is submitting 30 minutes on our knees every day and this, the first thing that's popping out is love in a way that's contagious in our world. I think that's part of the fruit. That's part of this incredible attractiveness that begins to grow in us as we do this thing. That's the first overarching, um, loving piece of fruit that shows up on this thing. The second one is joy. That as we submit, it's this joy that is that comes from inside of us. It's not a joy that is a fickle, thing related to what's happening in our lives, like what people call happiness. It's something that comes from our grounding in God. And when I think about this, I think about um, the discipline of submitting the Spirit is part reminding ourselves who we are. I have a quote that's on my desk that is from Henry Nowen, the spiritual writer, if some of y'all know him. But he says this about joy, and I think this is, part of how we submit and, and experience this kind of joy. But he says this. He says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It's a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. And I think the spirit, the fruit, is one that allows us to come back and commit to that kind of thing every day and to experience that kind of joy. The third one he gives is uh, peace, which is a peace that is this profound peace that comes from the inside. It's a deep internal peace. And whenever I say that about the deep internal peace, I think about a comic strip I saw many years ago that has stuck with me that came from Peanuts from Charlie Brown. And um, some of y'all may have seen this or know it, but it's this moment where Lucy is saying, man, I hate people, I hate life, I hate everything. And Charlie Brown says to her, well, well, I I thought you had inner peace. And she responds back, yeah, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about this deep peace that's on the inside of us that is this kind of shalom peace, this wholeness, completeness that we have that God brings in us of knowing that we're surrounded in his love, that we live in that place forever and that we're held in that place there are a bunch of other of these that I want to just mention. Um, patience is one of these, which is like the ability. It's particularly a kind of patience with people. And it ultimately comes back to a New Testament understanding of the word used is like the kind of patience God has with us as a people. It's, it's a patience with other people. Um, kindness and goodness, which are both related to each other. And it's, it's um, that you're going to do goodness and be kindness and have a certain sweetness to you through all kinds of things i've been thinking about this all week because we live or at least i should say this weekend because we we're in a complicated place we're in a complicated church sometimes about how we hold all these different views but i've got people all over the universe blowing up over what happened with the supreme court and my question is are we showing kindness wherever they are whatever the opposite view is what you have what took place are you still showing kindness Are you still praying for people and being in that place? I think that's one of the questions that we would raise. Gentleness, which the scholars say is the hardest word of the whole group to translate. I like the way um, Barclay translated it. He translates it by saying it's like a wild animal that's been tamed. That it's that kind of um, gentleness. Faithfulness, which is just trustworthiness. Or self-control, which is self-mastery. It's Whatever we want to say about it, it, all these things are beautiful. They're beautiful things. Who doesn't want to be known by the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? They're beautiful things that we want. Um, John Chrysostom, who in the fourth and fifth century, writes about this um, passage. He says, nothing makes people so lovable as to be formed by the Spirit. It makes this deep, rich, beautiful thing that takes place. And the final thing I, I'll say on this is then how do, we, how do we get more of this in our lives? It's beautiful. We don't want that ugly stuff. We want this beautiful stuff. How do we get that to grow in us? And it's not a hard answer. It's about submitting. It's about asking God, come and reign in my life. Come and take control. Come and lead me, guide me, convict me, show me, mold me, do all these things As we do that, as we surrender that way, he will grow these beautiful things in us that will stand the trials and the tribulations of the things that get thrown our way. Back again, just one more quote from somebody from the fourth century, Marius Victorinus. He says this, the whole essence of the gospel is to think according to the spirit, to live according to the spirit, to believe according to the spirit, to have nothing of the flesh in one's mind and acts and life. Why do we end by praying for this for a moment? I invite you to, to be comfortable and let's just pray for a moment. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. Help us to take that on board, what it means that you we are your beloved, that we are your children as we allow your spirit to testify to that fact in us. Lord, you call us to um, live in the power of your spirit, to experience freedom that takes us to a deeper place, a place that's marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, we battle. We know we have things of the flesh that pull us every day. Help us by your grace, with your strength, to submit to engage in rhythms of grace and the practices that help us to say yes to you and to your spirit each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.